Guys, welcome back to the Property Pod. You're easy to listen to and accessible way into the property market. I'm your host, Aaron Horn, and I'm joined at the desk as usual by Patrick Berry and John McGregor. How's it going, everyone? Yo, yo. Just let it be known that normally I struggle on the intro, and today I got you it. Nailed it. Without even thinking about it, I just relaxed into it and just let it Didn't happen. Didn't look at your notes. Man, Nan, Nan would be proud. Nan One, would be proud. 100%. Actually, can I tell you guys, Nan listened to last week's episode with um, Tuan from the tax thing. Yeah, yeah. She was really into it. Really? Yeah, she dug it. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, I could believe it after right. we spoke to the guy, but well, think again. The whole purpose is we make this accessible, right? Yeah. No matter how and how, how, no matter how dense or complex the subject might be. Yeah, they've just been cruising around um, the state. They were trying to get involved in that um, the voucher program thing that's been happening here in Tassie, where yeah, oh, the accommodation vouchers. Yeah, so they've just um, cruised around. Where do they go? They went up the east coast. They went all the way over. Actually, they ended up in Zion. Um, she wanted to go back. She lived in Zane for maybe two years of her life when she was a little child. She wanted to see if she could find the house that they um, grew up in. They did not. <laughs> but they did have a good time and they were listening to the podcast on the way up there and they said between Queenstown and Zane, it was actually a really good listen. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember when I was in uh, the UK, uh, my partner at the time, we had gone to, uh, not Bath, um, I can't remember which um, uh, city it was at the moment, but one of the things we did was she had these photos of when her uh, grandmother or, or mother at the time, had, uh, her grandfather had taken these photos all around the journey around the UK. So we did our best to try and revisit yeah, yeah, um, cool. and take photos from the position of her um, her grandfather. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you know, see how different the places have changed in the – Hundred years between the the photos and stuff. Yeah, exactly. One of the things though that um, uh, like their family did say is that where they grew up had really really just become a crap hole. So uh, <laughs> when we went there, we're like, oh yeah, we can see what you're talking about. But it was nice to drive past the door and go, there it is. Yeah, yeah, no, I really like that. <laughs> so what uh what's been happening for the real estate front for this week? What, what's been going on with oh, you guys? Busy times. We're into spring now, so lots of people getting on the market, getting their places sorted. It's so, nice nice yeah. to get out there and take the photos at the moment because you kind of. Other than the wind that we always get here in Tassie just before um, the sun. show, the sun's out, the guns are out, all well, yeah, is very nice. You had a crazy month last month, as <sighs> Crazy. Ridiculous <laughs> amount of shoots that you had to get through. If this is what – well, actually, I've actually put on um, my cousin as a, like a little apprentice to help me work it out because if this is what life is like as a medium-sized agency, well, ours trousers. Yeah, if, one, if we just get one more of us on there. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, no, it's it's going really well. So things are going, yeah, crazy. There's been lots of listings. Um, everyone's been – actually, the open homes you guys have been doing with uh, Wilfred Coffee. Yeah, they've been going well. They've been going really well. Yeah, Dom's been really helpful getting a sort of bit of – you know, excitement happening at the open homes with free coffee that we've been handing out. Yeah, yeah. There was one last weekend that was a real success, a real boomer in um Yeah, Laurie had one in Newtown. Yeah. Good turnout, lots of people. And, you know, people love free coffee. Hell well, yeah. the, the thing is, uh, I remember I've been to ones where they'll try and had like champagne and all those kind of things hanging about, but like with evening showings. But for me, with the coffee so good because it just gives people a, a chance or an excuse to linger and just um, and have a conversation. That's why then, you know, having the, extra, the the couple of us there is useful because they'll just ask questions that otherwise wouldn't. You know what I've also found is that the neighbours like to come down for free coffee. Yeah. And yeah. the neighbours love to talk up the neighbourhood because they live there. They're proud that they're part of the area. That's and all true. all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, you'll love it here. Everyone's really friendly. I've never lived in a better street in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and then that $50 we paid them the week earlier really works well. <laughs> 
speaking of community, I thought we could jump into a really cool story uh, straight off the bat. You found this one, Pat. Sure did. Um, it is – you've titled it COVID City. Yeah. Could you explain uh, what, what's going on here? Sure. So I got an email that came through with – talks about all different real estate things and one of them was COVID city and it made me click on the link because I was interested. And basically in China, they're actually building the first COVID proof smart city. So it's a completely separated city within a city that can be just shut off from the entire world, like in a lockdown type sense. What's well, so the just like once they hit the button, the shutters go up and boof, can't get in there. I don't know if it's quite like that, but <laughs> that would be cool. Um, yeah. It's more about how it's constructed and the features that it has. So it's actually fully constructed out, constructed out of timber so that the viruses can't linger on metals or plastics or glass. Oh, and okay. So the actual textiles that they're using are built to minimise the amount of spread that a virus can have, That's which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. And then it just has some really other cool features like um, if a lockdown is hap- does happen, they're trying to create a – environment where people can still have a, a decent style of life there within so they've got community gardens growing sustainable vegetables on the roof um yeah yeah one of the crazy bits i really liked was the um kind of idea that if something was to break in the city there's kind of communal 3d printers that you could then go and plug in whatever it was you broke like you've broken the handle on your and recreate it and recreate it so, oh yeah yeah so that you're not having cool. to reach out of the city and then get things sent in it's uh, the ability to then kind of be like, okay, we're self-sustainable in that we're growing everything ourselves, but we're also you break it, we fix it. I think they were trying to get this. The other thing I read was like a circular economy. So mm. essentially everything in this little hub, which is we're all kind of living in hubs at the moment. Yeah. Keeps is, everyone employed. Yeah. So everyone mm. kind of, you're not kind of stuck in this, like you've got to stay in your house, you're not allowed to get out, you've got to exercise in a four-foot square. Yeah. It's this kind of – I think I read the guys that were doing it with like some Spanish um, architecture firm and that, so it was all designed in isolation as well. So they're all working from home being like, okay, I've got this idea, let's pump this into the city. What would we need? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess in that sort of a thought um, where the idea of like self-sufficiency, so if, well, if, you know, if the gates go up is that everything is covered, so all the food is covered, all your essentials, like you said, with the 3D printing is covered so that um, you're not relying on you know, external sources to basically fuel and maintain your little hub. Look, and they've even thought of my wife as well. She loves online shopping and the, all the houses have oversized balconies perfect for drone-friendly deliveries. <laughs> so, like, so, so there you go. So as the old world's crumbling, you can yeah. still get the drones yeah, to come you in. you can still get your Amazon parcel <laughs> delivered in record time. Well, a little, uh, I had this interesting thought um, where you talked about we're all living in little hubs and I guess it's um, one of the things pr- just proved how, how ignorant we are to how – you know, things, how we get things, right? So, so oh, we just t- take everything for granted at the moment where you just go to your supermarkets and everything's there. But um, you sometimes forget about the amount of, a massive amount of work and intensive labour over the course of interconnected your country. Oh, yeah. That make, to make that work. Um, when you, Ze- oh, this was an interesting thought, when New Zealand, um, I will make a segue to it, but when, you, was it Christchurch or what was the city that had the big um, earthquakes? Yeah, um, yeah, Christchurch had that right on that fault line. Yeah, so I went to a talk with an architect that was part of the, the reimagining of, um, of the cities and the little suburbs that had fallen. But one thing they tried to ensure was, well, they'd noticed as things, um, um, people um, people started to bring in little food vans and little communities started to pop up where there were once just giant buildings. Um, and what that seemed to prove in that sense was that people were trying to find ways of making things work with the resources they have and then all these little communities were starting to form. Yeah, I remember so, reading about shipping container um, stores that were popping up so it was easier to put a shipping container somewhere and 
um, make a business out of that. Yep. But then after that, they just continued to keep them there. It was just like, oh, well, this is working. Why would we stop it? And Absolutely. like pe- pedal-powered cinemas where you'd go and you'd um, pedal along and it'd be like an outdoor cinema with people, someone riding the bike to make the energy rather than getting it off the power grid and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, and that, and where then the thought was, um, if like with a large city, everything's like concentrated into giant buildings where everyone works, and so and then people just live just you know in just dispersed sense. At least now, I suppose where we've been forced to have to work outside of that normal, um, you know large population centre, is it in that um, New Zealand reimagining, I thought, well, rather than just rebuilding these giant high-rise for everyone to be concentrated, why don't we ensure that all these um, essential services and jobs and is just dispersed across all sectors and neighbourhoods, etc. So everywhere has its own little, um, you know, uh, functioning economy in that sense, probably not too dissimilar what they're trying to show here, where um, if um, if you're locked out from the outside world, you can still actually, you know, survive, survive and get 90% of what you need. This is way off topic, but it's there's a, there is a little segue, and I saw this really cool thing on Viceland last night that was um, them trying to work out how we would actually live on Mars. Mm. And so it was kind of, you know, once our planet's buggered, how would we get to Mars? So, so we go to another buggered planet? Well, so they were just like, you know, it couldn't sustain us for this and this. So we'd have to live in lava caves underground. So there's these people in Spain at the moment who have been living in a lava cave for like 80 days I think at the moment but every time they try and do these experiments where they like isolate humans in the certain space that's mm. always like a mutiny like there was one that lasted <laughs> like three days they tried to do this um, experiment three days in they had to call it off because there was a mutiny and so they were like the issue isn't going to be can we survive underground it's how will we survive each other that's uh, I couldn't agree more. It was that really cool. I'll try and find the link really and add it to the thing. But so that these spacesuits, it was like journey to the centre of the earth. Well, I bet that's so true. I eh? like, I mean, f- f- um, at, at our core, we're very much a community-based people. Like, you know, human beings need each other. Like, if we're kept in isolation, um, it causes all sorts of mental issues because you can't, you know, you're not socialised into a, a, um, a functioning family and a functioning community. So, yeah, just isolate 80 people. <laughs> that's a straight out of an Aliens film too, isn't it, you know? <laughs> It's funny know. you mentioned the Aliens film because as soon as I read this um, thing about the wooden city, there was like an Alien 3 script that was based on this wooden planet with the monks. So it all kind of oh, turned really? into this thing. <laughs> I know this is a real digression. Pat's just thinking yeah. like this is meant to be about property. Well, yeah. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is Alien 3. This is yeah. happening. Well, in the end, what's the, what's the purpose of property? It's for people to live there, right? So the thing is that no matter what you define as your, you know, your living residence, it still has to be able to sustain the minimum requirements for us to be able to you know look after ourselves and look after each other. So um, in the re- reimagining of all these cities, like it doesn't matter how – like you could have just square boxes, but there's just not going to be enough of a long term, isn't it? So all these little elements have to be considered. Considering that this could be the future, how do you think you guys would go about selling a wooden box? A wooden box? Um, well, that's an interesting port. Like, are they saying that you will have one little apartment in this entire section, or will um, everyone have a shared? What's the uh, what would be the idea then? Is it uh, is it owned by everyone, or does everyone own their little you know three by three, four by four square box? I would imagine being China that you probably don't own it yourself. No, no, not in that case. But let's say it was built here. Yeah, how would you sell it? I think uh, would be well. How would you sell it? Um, so it's it's designed specifically for people that are freaked out, concerned by the idea of having a virus. Yeah, well, or, it could be designed just to be like this is the 
new normal and this is how you live in a in well, a post-corona world. If, I reckon I'd leave property sales and move into IKEA furniture sales. Nice. Because yes. if I've only got a little box, IKEA furniture is going to go through the roof. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. But you could three D print your own furniture. Ooh, but yeah. everyone likes IKEA. Yeah, true. <laughs> I Interesting. Don't know. Yeah, we've, well, there you go. We've pivoted. We're out of the real estate game by this point. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have to podcast about yeah. IKEA furniture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I made the Mike the other day. <laughs> Jeez, it was good. <laughs> Well, I guess in there. Lego for it all. <laughs> but who knows, you know, um, there, there might be uh, like definition changes and legislation changes, but in Australia it would fundamentally come under a community living slash strata situation, you know, so that it'd be, you'd, you'd have your strata building that you'd have um, shared common areas that all be contributing to, so it'd be sold on that basis. But who knows, like 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, they might actually, there might be whole new ways of defining what the property is classified as. No, so, um, yeah, a very interesting uh, look into what the future may be. We Nobody really knows what uh, life's going to look like after 2020, but this could be a uh, step in the right direction. Well, and look, they've already existed, you know. They've got um, little sectioned off areas where, they, you know, gated communities, but obviously this time around they're thinking on, on, on like much more detail-orientated rather than just a bunch of houses behind a gate. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. Mm. Speaking of a gate and locking people in, uh, the next story that I thought we could talk about was did you guys uh, get across this muck-up day idea that a um, private school did somewhere on the mainland? I did and I loved it. <laughs> it was good, wasn't it? it <laughs> I was thought good. it was very funny. So think back to finishing year 12, you're kind of um, at the end of your tether, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get rid of this bloody institution, I'm out into the free world, what can I do? Can I get dressed up like a banana in pyjama and camp at the school for the last night? Like, What are we going to do to muck it up? These year 12 students uh, got an actual um, real estate agency to mock up a sign for their school, but they marketed it uh, for auction as a prison. <laughs> so looking at the article here, uh, year 12 students in the Queenwood School for Girls in Mossman, which is a posh suburb in Sydney, uh, have done their bougiest take ever on the classic muck-up day and their execution was impeccable. Mistaken as a prison, the postmodern industrial complex invites new family owners to call this place home. This is a brilliant opportunity to maximise views, location and only moments to Country Road. So they've actually got this uh, photo signboard, placed it up and put a uh, sold sign on it. And then I think looking into it, Pat, people were actually... Yeah, they actually had proper developers that lived in this suburb wanting to get in on it and we're ringing the local real estate agency saying you're advertising it as mixed use. You're saying it can be a nightclub, it can be this, it can be that. Oh, they're getting oh, super can, excited yeah, about can it. I, can I get the <laughs> application plans for this so I can research to see if this is a viable option for me to buy this building? Sure. <laughs> How crazy is this? Like what a what a – All um, from a sign. It wasn't on the internet anywhere. It was just a sign that went up on a building. And someone's just dro- – or they're driving past going, oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What's, uh, what's, the sco- what's the score here? Well, probably half the developer's kids went to the school. Yeah, that's, that's, so. that's another point too. Yeah. They're like, well, if, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And who's who's yeah. the dad that works at the real estate agency that uh, the kids come and said, hey, Dad, I've got this really cool idea. It would be good exposure for your company as well. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. God, well, I, I remember um, – God, there was uh, one of our old salespeople many, many years ago he had um, one of his one of his close mates had gone on holiday, and so what uh, Tony done at the signist grabbed a for sale board and then shoved it in the ground and put a sold sticker on it. And so when the guy came back, he, called, he was just completely freaking out that but, his house had been sold while he was away. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if any of the teachers that had come on holiday and come back and went, "What the hell is going on?" You know, <laughs> it, it have, I, have I lost my job? What's, what's the school here? It made me think: Are there any other pranks that you guys can think of, like real 
of the state industry ones that um, might have popped up. I know this is right on the spot and we didn't talk about it beforehand. but Well, I'm thinking you could um, have all these random applications for things. So they just start re- you know, coming in like uh, you know, received an application for complete demolition of the building or something and then no one knows what's going on. <laughs> Yep, you could do that. <laughs> I love that you jumped straight to that. You're like, oh, I've been sitting on this yeah. one for years. Yeah. Oh, well, you just wait. <laughs> you just wait. Thinking, Geez, I only throw me under the bus yeah. here. <laughs> I don't have that locked and loaded. Yeah, normally we, would, normally we would have a little chat before the show, but it just made me think of pranks because uh, there's been a fair bit of news about um, muck-up day lists that have been leaked on Reddit and stuff like that are, that are quite vulgar. Like this one's actually a well-thought-out. Well, I think because normally it ends up being that the students would be like just trashing the school in some ways, isn't it, or having water fights. Or so. I, I, I'm not sure. We never I think that was what used to happen in our day, but now yeah. it's all kind of you've got a Snapchat videos of or TikTok videos of quite naughty things. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so yeah. this one I'm actually – hats off to these guys for thinking of it uh, implementing it and then actually having people interested in yeah, the yeah. idea of selling their school as a jail. And then, and then the fact that they've actually got interested purchases at this point too, like weighing up uh, and there'd be a real auction thinking, well, what is the actual value of this place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, lastly, in our news this week, um, we were just looking at a Mercury article that was talking about building inspectors in our lovely state of Tasmania. Mm. Yeah, so... Basically, the article goes on to say that all of a sudden there's been a heap of building inspectors pop up within the industry. And I don't know if you've noticed it, John, but there seems to be a lot more different names that we wouldn't have seen on a regular basis a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's there's a client uh, – we had a purchaser suffer from this, but you finish your thought, mate. Yeah, well, I was basically going to say the article just flows on to say that these building inspectors technically aren't doing a great job and maybe the industry needs to be more regulated and actually have – some, you know, cost of measures in place to make sure that people do the right thing. Mm. So how does something like this work? How do you become a building inspector? Like what is the process of being able to go and just be like, oh, yeah. Well, I think maybe as long as you have a building licence, you're pretty much good to go, aren't you? Well, it's it's more so relevant specifically to the terms of the contract. So the standard building inspection clause describes that you have to um, be a certified building practitioner under the building um building code in yep. order to be able to have professional indemnity cover. So what that means is you've got to have a trade. You've got to be a, you know, a sparky, a builder or a plumber. So then you get a license. So therefore then you can get professional indemnity cover. And there, then once a, a, uh, once you've done their inspection, they have to be able to provide a written report. And the written report only counts, obviously, if they've got those elements because there's not actually a building inspector's license in Tasmania. Yeah. And this article was basically going on to say that that's a mistake and that potentially there should be a license yeah, to take the rogue people out of the industry and yeah. make sure that we're dealing with more genuine people that know what they're actually talking about. Well, I think it, it sort of has to be lead to that way because we we had a purchaser who um, – and it wasn't – it was actually – no, that's right. It was a friend of ours who rather than coming to us to ask, look, who might you recommend, they thought, well, we'll just do it ourselves. And so they just found someone on the internet. They, they ended up employing the cheapest person. Um, and the bloke went up Always there. Always a safe way to go. Yeah, exactly. Seems seemed fair. Um, and then well, we'd never heard of him before. And then he he did the inspection. And then they said, oh, could you provide a port? He's like, no, nah, I don't do that. So the whole purpose of getting him up there in the first place was irrelevant because he didn't provide a report even after describing all these things wrong with the place. So then they called us up and said, who do you recommend? So then we sent someone who, who you know, we trusted um, and then they paid what was a fair, fair amount for a, a, bu- a good building inspector, provide the report and then they were able to get out of that contract just in time. So what, what did the first guy do? He just would show up and point out things wrong with your house and then and say then- fix them or... Well, and the, we'll see. The thing is, in the in the standard clause, it describes that. Well, actually, it's probably a bit. It'd be worth us actually getting someone on to talk about this in a deeper sense. But 
in the contract it describes you have a defect limit. So defects or anything. So, you know, paint scratches or you name it. Once once upon a time, well, previously it used to say structural le- electrical or roofing defects. And if it's together, likely to cost more than the purchase price to remedy or more than the defect limit to remedy, the purchaser has the right to renegotiate or withdraw from the contract. So, for instance... Yeah, um, you do a building inspection of the property. The roof is completely shot, um, and it's going to cost a replacement of twenty five grand to get the roof replaced. You've only got a ten thousand dollar defect limit on on the contract. Therefore, obviously, you know it's cost a lot more to remedy. Yeah, and so if you can now get out of the contract if you choose to, if you choose to, that's you a can really- still buy the house if you want to. Yeah, but it gives you the option to cancel if you want to. Yeah, that's a really good point actually. So it's or renegotiate, or renegotiate. So renegotiate. kind of yeah. re- negotiate the price down to a. Kind of, it'll cost me this much to fix it, so That's right. I'll give you that much less. And so in that circumstance, though, is that they had to have a written report that disclosed a number of the $25,000 to repair. In my friend's example, what happened was the building inspector went up there, and let's just say it was the same roof example. He said, yeah, the roof's shot. Um, okay, cool. Can you can you give me a written report and a price code? No, I don't do that. So they paid him like 300 bucks for a completely useless inspection. Oh. Um, so... Therefore, and that's uh, he, he's probably one of the rogue people that, that to be describing. Is that technically he's just saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a building inspector, but because he doesn't have all those extra elements, they didn't, did, they didn't understand he'd need. Um, his price he's is useless. Is completely useless. And I, I bet that's exactly the kind of people they're talking about. That's crazy. That's such a cowboy way of operating. Like I can't imagine. I guess you don't do a lot of repeat business on building inspectors. Like you just would be searching them out and come and you want to get it done once. It's yeah. not a good way of being like. As soon as that happened to your friends, surely they're going to describe that to the next person. Oh, don't use blah, blah. Well, the problem is, though, that the volume of sales that happen in Tasmania versus the amount of building inspectors that there currently are, they get away with it. Yeah. Because, you know, I think a couple of years ago there was probably only five or six building inspectors. Now there's probably 15 at tops. I don't even know. Yeah, there wouldn't be a huge amount. But the volume of sales, they're just using Google AdWords, different things like that to promote themselves and people from the mainland just search – Tasmanian building inspector, they click the first one on the list and they book him. They don't know any different because yeah. there's been so many mainland buyers purchasing property here in Tasmania. And I reckon too, though, everyone that I know who work with, I don't reckon they'd have any issue whatsoever with tightening the legislation up a bit because, it's, you know, for anyone who's, um, you know, reputable in that sense, they're like, well, they've got all the ticks and they do all the right things, they've got all the right qualifications anyway. So it's like, great, add another layer so we can't, you know, rogues just can't get in willy-nilly. Mm. It's got um, in this article on the Mercury that um, Andrew Wilkie is pushing for, um, yeah, a tougher regulation on pre-purchase checks. Um, it's just I, I didn't know anything about I, – I would assume you'd have to be like a, yeah, a specific level of builder. Like if I just had a trade, can I then become a building expense inspector? Well, again, it's, it's what's most relevant though is what the clause in the contract that you're signing – Needs okay. So, like I said in the in the Tasmanian one, currently, um, as where because it doesn't provide because we don't have a building inspector license, it says a certified practitioner. So, yeah. could you change the contract to be something along the lines of um, a certified practitioner? A, B, C, or D, like if you know there's like a certain amount of good ones, or does that become too tricky? I don't think you can because mm. I don't think you can. From a consumer affairs perspective, we can't dictate who they have to use. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although so. there are some agents that have tried, yeah, um, okay. which but is a terrible practice. Yeah, I think all we can do is provide them with a, a You can recommend. Say, Here's our recommendations. If you yeah. choose to use one, great. If you don't. Okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. Run the risk of choosing a dead one. This actually does sound like something we could go further into. Um, I mean, there's one or two building inspectors that John and I work really close to. We might 
reach out it today, yeah. reach out to them and try to get them on the show in the next couple of weeks and then we can really deep dive into it a bit better. That mm. could be cool. Yeah, I think I, it just this sounds like something, again, I, again, knew nothing about leading but up to. That's only, John, if you're happy to have a guest that's not an insurance broker. <laughs> Like, I don't want to steal the, the thunder that is the special guest. But I've already brought. got seven lines up. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the insurance broker's yeah. yeah, You've been killing it on the guest there's, front. There's we, so much. We might, we might pick, and pick at you, but you're doing good. <laughs> yeah. um, good all right, well, good let's, let's try that. We No promises to the audience at the moment, but we will reach out to some people and see if we can get um, a bit deeper into this topic because I think there is something there to talk about. Um, moving forward and protecting your assets. Well, we talked about insurance, so it's kind of like ensuring that what you're buying is. Yeah, and another thing too is that where, um, you know, people say I need a building inspection, but I know quite often I find that like the client, you know, purchasers haven't actually read read the defect, like the the inspection clause either. It's all know? about building that team, Aaron, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Get them oh, in your corner. Yeah, Get them in your corner, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, I think what we'll do there is we've got to jump out to do some uh, real estate. You've actually got to go to an inspection, don't you? I literally do. Like Twenty minutes, and I've got a fifteen-minute drive. So let's wrap this up, let's boys. Wrap this up. Good. Thanks for uh, listening again. Sorry, Nan, you didn't find the house in Zayn, but um, yeah, keep hunting. <laughs> keep hunting. <laughs> All the best, lads. See ya. See ya. You have been listening to the Property Pod, produced and edited by Four One Four Media House in conjunction with Four One Four Real Estate and McGregor First National Propriety Limited. This podcast is general information only, and the thoughts and views expressed is the opinion of our panel. And listeners should always seek and use their own investigation into any topic we discuss to ensure they fully understand their own situation. It does not constitute and should not be relied on as purchasing, selling, financial or investment advice or recommendations expressed or implied, and it should not be used as an invitation to take up any agent or investment services. No investment decision or activity should be undertaken on the basis of this information.